This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott is working from ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. Taylor Schwenk also doing that. I'm Buster Only uh, in Montana, where, guys, it snowed overnight another two to three inches. It's April 20th. Are you tired of this, Buster? How do no. you How are you feeling? No, you're good? No, I'm good. But okay. I can tell you there are a lot of people here who are tired about it. It's my first spring in Montana, and folks I bump into, uh, everyone's talking about the weather, and they can't wait for it to turn into baseball weather. Like, they're like, let's go. I think Sarah's still wishing she was in Florida. That was kind of the vibe I got when she came in here this morning. Oh, yes. Right. Very much still yeah. wishing I'm in Florida, and it's just cloudy here. So I can't even imagine if there was snow on the ground, I might just revolt. At that point. Yeah, not only you wish you're in Florida at a Taylor Swift concert. Let's uh, let's make that very clear. <laughs> All right, last night in Seattle, a crazy game of swings. Brewers versus the Mariners. Each team scored in the tenth inning, and then this happened in the eleventh. Topa ready. Oh one. Swinging a soft ground ball hit towards short. Can't turn two on this. Caballero fields on the run. His only play is at first. He throws out Willie, and Weimer has scored. The Brewers again are back in front in extra innings. This time it's six to five in the eleventh. Now from six twenty WTMJ, the Brewers hold on to win six to five. They are thirteen and five. I think there's no question they should be in the top three of this week's power rankings. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirchin about that coming up. The Dodgers and the Mets, and the Dodgers got off to a great start. Three two, five ball center field. Fan going back. The wall. He looks up and it's gone. A home run on the tenth pitch of the at bat. JD Martinez with a monstrous shot over the wall and straightaway center, and the Dodgers take a two to nothing lead. That from the great Charlie Steiner and five seventy LA Sports. The real star of the Dodgers five nothing victory, however, was not JD Martinez. It was Clayton Kershaw because this was career win number two hundred. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirchin about that. Coming up, by the way, the Mets got more bad news. Carlos Carrasco sent back to New York. He's got an elbow issue. So the age in the Mets rotation continues to manifest. The Cubs in the athletics were tied 0-0, top of the eighth inning, and then this happened. Here's the 2-1. Bellinger rips one through in a right field for a base hit. Cubs strike first. Suzuki scores. Wisdom stops at third. But Cody Bellinger gives the Cubs the lead, an RBI single to right. That from the Cubs radio network. Chicago would go on to win 4 nothing. And Taylor, uh, do you subscribe to the possibility, as Dave Schoenfield does, that the Oakland Athletics might be the worst team in baseball history? I love it. I would love to see historic awfulness this year. I feel bad for the fans, as we've uh, you know relayed on the podcast. But yeah, it, it would... It, would be fun to see it get really ugly. You know what? And and it would draw attention to the fact of what's going on with the tanking. Yeah. I, and I really think this year, like you hope that the conversation gets ramped up for the other owners, that the other owners would be embarrassed and say, you know what? This reflects on, on the entire product to have teams that are this bad in the way that Oakland looks so far this year. One team that looks great, the Atlanta Braves, they're in San Diego and they took a lead in the top of the fourth inning. There's the two-one pitch on the way from Snell to Murphy. There's a lightning bolt to deep left. This is fading away and out of the ballpark. Sean Murphy crushes one into the second deck beyond the left field wall. 
And that from 680, the fan, the Braves would never give the lead back. They win 8-1. to one. They've won eight games in a row. The San Diego Padres, I'm sure, can't wait for the return of Fernando Tatis Jr. to the lineup. You're going to hear later in the podcast the voices of Bob Melvin and Xander Bogarts and Juan Soto, Manny Machado, talking about how they're going to construct the top of the San Diego lineup. Some other notes. Reds pitcher Hunter Green agreed to a six-year, $53 million extension. Jeff Passon reported that it's possible that his deal could have $90 million or get up to $90 million with some escalator clauses. Aaron Boone gave a firmer timeline on Giancarlo Stanton. He's likely to be out six weeks. That's when they're hoping he'll be back. The Rays confirmed bad news on pitcher uh, Jeffrey Springs. He's expected to have Tommy John surgery. That means he's out for this year. He's out for a lot of next year. Devastating for a pitcher who really has emerged as one of the best left-handers in baseball. The Giants starter Alex Wood left his game last night against the Marlins in the middle of it with a hamstring injury. We actually had thought that uh, Alex Wood would be on uh, be on the hill for Sunday night baseball this weekend for San Francisco, but now the Giants will be looking for another starter in that game against the Mets. The Diamondbacks and the Cardinals. Arizona off to a great start. That continued in the top of the fourth inning. Here's the pitch. And Moreno, high fly ball, left field and deep. Going back O'Neal, and that baby is gone! three-run homer, his first as a Diamondback, and Arizona blowing it open in the fourth inning. It's now 7-2. Yeah, you hear the booing of the Cardinals fans in St. Louis. That sound from Arizona Sports, 98.7 FM. Cardinals would come back. They would uh, actually make this close, but in the end, Arizona wins 8-7. The Blue Jays, who got blown out in the first game of their series against the Astros, struck back on Tuesday night. Right on cue, he hits one out of the ballpark. Well, that's going to make him feel better. <laughs> Sorry, Vladdy, we never doubted you. We knew it was only a matter of time. He was listening to us. Yeah, boy, where's his power? Okay, I'll show you some power, boys. That was a rocket into the seats there, right? 106 miles an hour off the bat. Number three on the season for Guerrero. And the Blue Jays lead one to nothing. It was Buck Martinez first, then Dan Schulman on the Blue Jays television network. Uh, the final score there, 4-2. to two. The Rangers blew out the Royals. Marcus Simeon did it again. Oh, this ball hit high in the air. Deep out to left field. That could be trouble. It's gone! A three-run shot for Marcus Simeon. He's opened it up 8-2 to two in the sixth inning. All right, I totally whiffed on the Brewers this year coming into the season, but we saw the first weekend the Rangers are a really dangerous and good team. The Red Sox and the Twins, again, a wild game back and forth. Chris Sale was excellent in this game. Six innings, three hits, one run, 11 strikeouts. Alex Verdugo was part of a Red Sox comeback to end the game. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive down the right field line toward the pole. It is hooking, and it is a fair ball off the wall, and the Red Sox are going to win the game. McGuire scores. The Red Sox have beaten the Minnesota Twins 5-4 to four on a ball that hit off the wall just by the pesky pole. And in Yankee Stadium last night, the Angels and the Yankees and Shohei Otani got it done in the top of the first. 
Ward leads off second and the next pitch and Shohei swings and lifts a high fly ball. It's carrying deep out into right center field. It lands in the Yankee bullpen. That's a two-run homer. And right out of the blocks tonight in the Bronx, it's showtime. Two-nothing Angels. Jerry Smith, Angels Radio, AM 830. The Angels win that game 5-2. to two. And you could hear that Yankee Stadium crowd, Taylor. As soon as he hit the ball, they were like, ooh, because it was 117 miles an hour. He's he's special. You know, if you're going to the ballpark to see Shohei, uh, you, you might get a little Showtime action. Um, one thing to promote, actually, I'm going to throw it to Sarah here. Dominic Foxworth show. What are you guys doing this week? Um, that is an awesome question. Dominic. Get up on that microphone, Sarah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm new to podcasting, apparently. So Dominique and Charlie are breaking down all the latest in the NBA. And as always, we have Ashley, his lovely wife, on to do some fun segments with Roses and Thorns. So be sure to check it out. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkshen. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkshen covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, uh, you're well known among those here at ESPN for someone who really hates the cold. Would you agree with me? Yeah, I'm not a cold. What I hate, Buster, is being cold when I'm supposed to be warm. Airplanes, I'm indoors. They are freezing. I wear a wool cap in almost any airport, any airplane I've ever been in, because they're freezing in the airplane. In the middle of summer, you go to the movie theater, and it's 52 degrees in the movie theater. That's when I get cold, when I'm supposed to be warm. Now, when I'm out shoveling the snow in the middle of the winter, because I grew up on the East Coast, I'm not cold because, A, I'm moving, and I'm prepared for the cold. When it's supposed to be warm and it's not, that's when I get exceptionally cold, and it bothers me. All right. Uh, If that's your standard, then let me just run this past you. It's April 20th this morning. I think you can confirm with that with Elias, right? April 20th. (laughs) Yeah? Yes. Okay. Uh, I woke up this morning, three inches of snow here in Bozeman, Montana. 
Uh, I can't imagine, you're the first person I thought of, I can't imagine you being out here with this kind of weather because it's supposed to be spring, Tim. We're supposed to have baseball, right? Everything is, we're supposed to be able to turn the television. The players are all running around short, short sleeve shirts. And instead, I'm going to be using a snowblower this morning. Right. Well, Buster, this is what you get for living in Montana, which, by the way, I've been to multiple times. I love, love, love Montana. There are days I wish... I live there. And I repeat, I can handle the cold weather. I am an East Coast guy. I don't need to live in Phoenix year round. Okay. I'm just telling you if there's a difference between warm and cold and I'm cold all the time, it's a circulatory issue. It's 140 pounds. I don't have any, it's just awful, but that's the way it works. Let's move on to something else. All right. So we're going to move on to Clayton Kershaw. Uh, who last night picked up career win number 200. Tim, here was Kershaw after the game. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to express because I'm obviously super grateful for the time that I've had here, and I don't ever want it to come off like I'm not grateful for that. I just, the goal is to win, and uh, that's, why I, that's why tonight is really cool because it's, it's a team stat, this, the, a win. And uh, so for me to be able to do that 200 times, um, is just a product of being on some great teams. And so that's why I really like tonight. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, as far as reflecting, I'm not the greatest at that either, but um, being able to kind of think back about the different groups of guys that I've played with and, um, you know, the different, uh, different division titles that we've won and the different regular seasons and all these things that be able to have, these, have this many wins is um, just a byproduct of all those people that I've gotten to play with. So... Just once again, thankful to be a part of this organization, really. It's really what tonight comes down to. Tim, I think you would agree with me. Everyone in baseball is looking forward to Dusty's ba- Dusty Baker's Hall of Fame speech, yes? Would you agree that like his speech is going to be unbelievable? Of course. He's going he's gonna to drop every name in the book from Snoop Dogg to President Obama and everyone in between. It'll be tremendous. And on the other hand, Clayton Kershaw, I think, despite the fact that he'll finish his career as arguably the greatest pitcher that we've ever seen, his Hall of Fame speech will not because he hates talking about himself, Tim. Right. So last night he wins game number 200, and he's spectacularly boring afterwards because, you're right, he doesn't like to talk about himself. We've been over this bus. Remember Paul O'Neill was the greatest. He talked about baseball as well as anyone I've ever heard. And he talked about himself worse than almost anyone I've ever heard. Kershaw reminds me a little bit of that. And it's very refreshing to see a guy who hates to talk about himself, but loves to talk about baseball. So it was no surprise that he wins his 200th game and we don't get much out of him because that would be out of character for him. But Buster, you know all the numbers. He has the highest winning percentage now of any 200-game winner ever. So I know we don't care about wins and losses anymore. I still do, by the way, because I'm 66 years old. He has a 694 winning percentage with 200 wins. He has the lowest ERA in the live ball era, 1920 on, of any pitcher with 200 wins. So when we start to put him in categories on who's the best pitcher of today, I got asked the other day, who's better, Scherzer or Verlander, um, who's had a best career of the active pitchers? Well, both of them are first ballot Hall of Famers. Clayton Kershaw is better than both of them. 
and and that's a, a stunning, you know, uh, compliment for those guys and for Kershaw that he's better than them. But he's the best active pitcher as far as career value goes, and he will go down as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And he should. He should go in with a unanimous vote, yes? Because, Tim, who? what reason would you have to not vote for Clayton Kershaw? No, there is no reason not to. Now, people will say, oh, he wasn't great in the postseason. Well, then he was great in the postseason. So you can't really hold that against him. Uh, there's nothing to suggest he shouldn't be a first ballot Hall of Famer and get every single vote. There's no way you can justify not voting for Clayton Kershaw. You know what I love about uh, what Clayton's been doing during the course of his career, Tim, is that, as you know, uh, for years and years and years, he was so stubborn in how he pitched. Like, he attacked, attacked, attacked. Inside fastballs, inside fastballs. The Houston Astros in 2017 in Game 7 in Dodger Stadium. So don't tell me about the trash cans. In Dodger Stadium, they had a game plan uh, respond to Kershaw pitching inside. No, I'm sorry. It was earlier in this series, not Game 7. That was you, Darvish. But in his last start, it was game five, uh, he could not hold a lead because he kept pitching inside. The Astros were game planning uh, against that. And here's the thing is that, you know, coming off of that, I think he made an adjustment. I think he, at some point, 2019, 2020, he's like, you know what? I have to pitch differently. His average fastball velocity last night, Tim, was 91.65 miles per hour. His average slider velocity, 86 miles per hour. Average curveball below last night, 74 miles an hour. Uh, he, he, in the game, he threw 36% fastball, 44% slider. The rest curveballs. I uh, was texting back and forth uh, with one of his former teammates this morning about how Kershaw seems to have had found old man game, which is really cool. Right, which is amazing. He's not the same pitcher he used to be. He doesn't throw that curveball that no one had ever really seen before. He doesn't throw 96 anymore. And he still found a way to be really, really good this year, last year, every year. And I'm still astonished, Buster. I'm not being critical of the ESPN Top 100, but Clayton Kershaw was voted the 87th best player in the major leagues, and get this, I counted, the 30th best starting pitcher in the major leagues. Now, are you really going to tell me that there are 29 starting pitchers out there better than Clayton Kershaw? Did you watch him pitch last night? You're telling me there are 29 guys better than that? I don't think so. Yeah, so far this year, 25 innings pitched, just 19 hits and four walks and 26 strikeouts. He's still dominant even though he's a very different pitcher. All right, every week we're asked to uh, send in our power rankings, uh, ranking the teams 1 through 30. And, Tim, if you don't agree with my number 1, 2, 3, then I think you're out of your mind because I think it's really distinct just a few weeks into the season. Number 1, I've got the Tampa Bay Rays. Number 2, I've got the Atlanta Braves who are streaking. And number 3, I've got the Milwaukee Brewers, so we're off to an unbelievable start. Are those your 1, 2, 3? Um... I, <laughs> really? I have your first two. Really? I had the Brewers fourth. 
I put the Mets third because they're hot again and they're playing really well. But the Brewers, look, I, I'm not going to let you yell at me again, okay? To have the Brewers third, I'm good. I had them fourth. That doesn't make me an idiot, okay? The Brewers are already way better than I thought they were going to be. Not because they're. we all know about those front three pitchers and we know Brandon Woodruff is now hurt. But they have scored runs, and I said like three times on this podcast, I don't know how they're going to score enough runs. And yet already they have. And suddenly in three weeks, that division looks completely different to me. And I still think the Cardinals are right there. The Cardinals are going to play better. They're going to get hot. But the Brewers have gone from, I thought, the seventh team in the National League to clearly above that now. And they are a formidable team because they swing the bats a whole lot better. And their pitching is good. And their bullpen ERA is the number one in the major league. So they lose Josh Hader. They trade him. And they still come up with arm after arm after arm. And Devin Williams at the end is still really, really good. Yeah, I thought when the year started, the question around the the Brewers was going to be, how quickly will they trade Corbin Burns and how quickly will they trade Willie Adamas, two players you know, who are going to be free agents at the end of next season. And as we saw with Josh Hader last year, the Brewers, being a small market team that manages its payroll, uh, they need to maximize value on those guys. In fact, the way they've started with these young players that they've filled their outfield with, it's a, a so much better team, I agree with you, than I thought uh, they were going to be an excellent defensive team. That's the part that came out of left field for me. Right, and because they have not been an excellent defensive team in their history. I think they only have three gold glovers in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers. You're kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's an amazingly small group of gold glovers who have played there. And let's not forget... The manager, Craig Council, is really, really good at this, not just as a strategist, but he handles people as well as almost anyone. He has such a great look at what the job is about, and I I think they're in really good shape right now, and I didn't even think that three weeks ago, but I do now. So uh, speaking of the Dodgers with Clayton Kershaw, we learned yesterday from Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, that when Mookie Betts comes back from his paternity absence, uh, that he could return and play shortstop. I will tell you that when this conversation's coming up in the last couple of years, every once in a while you hear something about Mookie Betts playing second baseman, second base on a regular basis and going back to his roots as an infielder. Folks with other teams are like, they're not going to really do that. Really? You got the maybe the arguably the best defensive right fielder in the history of the sport. You're going to take him out of that spot, put him in the infield. Come on. What do you think about this idea, Tim? Um, I think they'll put him at shortstop here and there because Miguel Rojas is hitting like 129. And imagine having a that kind of production at shortstop or second base. You can get another outfielder out there. I understand. I had a guy with the Dodgers tell me, a guy I trust explicitly, who said Mookie is not just the best right fielder in the game. He's the best defensive player at any position in the game today as a right fielder. And they're going to take that guy and move him back to the infield. But Buster, this transition from second base to right field is virtually unprecedented how you can be that good defensively. Robin Yount went from shortstop to center field and won a gold glove for the Brewers as a center fielder. But 
he wasn't as good in the outfield, as good as he was, as Mookie is in right. And for Mookie to play second base or shortstop when he's a gold glove right fielder is just astounding to me. But every time I watch him play right field, he looks like a second baseman playing right field, meaning he charges a ball, he moves left and right better than anyone, but he throws, he doesn't throw like an infielder who has moved to the outfield. He now has an outfielder's arm. That's really hard to do, but he has mastered that. So the point is you can put Mookie Betts wherever you want and he'll be good. I think the Dodgers are at their best when he's their right fielder, but a day at second, a day at short, I'm okay with that because he's going to bring great great production to the middle infield. We found out yesterday that Hunter Green has signed a six-year, $53 million deal. And, Tim, I thought about a conversation that Carl Ravitch and I had with Trey Turner uh, earlier this season, uh, well, just before the, the we had the Phillies uh, playing the Rangers on Sunday Night Baseball. And it was very interesting because Trey Turner made it very clear to us in conversation like, you know what? The part, the thing about all these deals that happen, uh, he he said the instinct of young players is, generally speaking, they want to stay with the team where they st- start, and if they got good offers early in their careers, in Trey Turner's opinions, then they would probably stay because they're not, they're still new to the business, you know. And if someone puts a big number in front of them in terms of a contract offer, they'll jump at it. That's what I was thinking about yesterday after this Hunter Green deal, which you know, I, I was surprised that him at 23 with his absolutely dominant stuff was willing to sign uh, a, a $53 million deal. What did you think when you read about this? Well, I, I'm no longer surprised, Buster, because you take a young player and you give him $53 million guaranteed. And it doesn't mean he has to stay there forever. But he will be rich for the rest of his life based on this contract. And this he should have taken this deal, and it didn't even shock me. It certainly didn't shock me that the Reds wanted to lock him up. Because, again, Buster, I'm not the biggest velocity guy in the world. But you look at the 100-mile-an-hour pitches thrown by him and by everyone else over the last couple of years. It's not even close. It's not even close. He's like doubled the next Two guys, as far as pitches thrown at 100 miles an hour. That's how good his arm is. We know what a great athlete he is. We know what a great kid he is. So the Reds did really well locking him up. But if I were a young player and the Reds drafted me and they offered me money like that, where I would never have to worry about finances the rest of my life, and yet I could still be a free agent you know, a bunch of years from now, I would have taken it also. I'm no longer surprised. That's how many of these deals are being given out these days. And a tip of the cap to the Reds, right? I love sure. the fact that the Cincinnati Reds, who talked about tanking in the last couple of years, they're trying now. You know, they're investing money long term. We talked on the podcast uh, yesterday about the Oakland Athletics being just a debacle and how bad they are. And also, in a, to the degree that they're tanking, they don't have anybody on their roster that they've invested in long term. It's a great sign for me that the Reds are willing to spend this kind of money on Absolutely. Hunter Green. And you saw the attendance in Cincinnati like the last two days. It's really sad to see that. These are the Cincinnati Reds. They go back to the 1800s. Those people love that team. They're sophisticated fans. They need one of their guys to get locked locked up long term so they know at least we're going in the right direction. All right, Tim. 
Always fun to talk with you. Stay warm out there. The Padres have lost the first two games of their series against the Braves, and Juan Soto has been struggling. They could use an injection of offense, and so the return of Fernando Tatis Jr. is very welcome. When I asked Bob Melvin about where Tatis Jr. will hit among his top four hitters of Tatis Jr., Soto, Bogarts, and Machado, he was definitive. Fernando Tatis Jr. will lead off. Here's Bob Melvin. You know, we let him off in spring training. It's like a hurricane going into the, you know, the batter's box for the first guy of the game. It's just there was an impact to it. So that's my guess as of right now is we'll, we'll just put him in the leadoff spot. How do you think you might go after that? Probably Soto, Manny, then Bogarts, <clears throat> then Crony, then either Carp or Cruz, and then the rest of the game. How much do you think it helps Manny to have Bogey? In that spot, Great. potentially. Yeah, and Juan before him. You know, and, and be a pretty good spot for Juan to sit after Tatis and before Manny. It's not a bad place to be. Uh, what is, uh, what's your impression of Bogart's business? He's great. I mean, he's just in it you know, do whatever you ask. So, he's, uh, he's in the leadoff today. It's fourth. Not many guys can do that. And, he, and he's having fun with it, too. You know, I kind of today got hit in the ankle yesterday and maybe not moving around is great today so I kind of gave him the option to hit deeper in the lineup because no nah, I love it I want to lead off today yeah another real real leadership guy that we have in our clubhouse he's been fantastic when you say that Tatis is like a hurricane what do you mean it's <laughs> there's just a lot to him you know there's a lot of energy there's a lot of you know angst for the pitcher to see this guy coming in the box to lead off the game and um you know, I didn't really know that. I kind of felt it from the other side, even though I didn't play him against him a lot. But even in spring training, it's just, you know, this guy leading off the game, there's there's some impact to it. Soto, you think that's going to help him? I mean, especially with the defensive shifts and maybe having a first base side open? Yep, I believe. And Peters, he's on base. I mean, he can steal at will. But what's it like to have this... We, we look at this matchup. I mean, there's there's all stars everywhere. There's future Hall of Famers. What's it like to be the manager of a team with so much firepower? You know, it's it's a nice problem to have, and you know, it's about keeping these guys healthy. So you know, it's it's going to be important for us with as many guys as we're paying a lot of money to to keep those guys healthy. Because when you we saw it last year, you lose a guy like Tatis for for a year, it was impactful. So, but yeah, I mean, I can't wait to get everybody in the lineup at the same time. Can't wait to get Joe back and Suarez back in there. There's there's help coming. I had a conversation about Xander Bogarts and where he likes to hit in the lineup. Where in the lineup do you like to hit? Uh I've talked to Bob. He knows in particularly there's this one spot that it's actually my favorite spot. With. It just doesn't Two. go with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at numbers today. Yeah, so I mean if you want to look at numbers, yeah, it just doesn't uh doesn't work out for I don't know what type of reason, but I actually find one is pretty fun. Uh obviously before two, three, four, five. I mean I've I've done that multiple times throughout my career. But two is the one that yeah, it just gets me. What do you think that is? I don't know, because I actually do like it a lot. You know, yeah. a guy on first, lead off the game with a hit or a walk, you know, I got multiple stuff that I could be able to do with, with the bat, but I don't know, it just hasn't been able to work out, so uh, you just, I 
the stolen, that might be the only one. But anywhere else, like I'm, I'm fine with whatever he wants. I, I uh, when they signed you, I thought, boy, you'd be the perfect cleanup guy to make other teams pitch to to Manny. I mean, I've been hitting cleanup pretty pretty much the most part of the season. Just yeah, against lefty, I've been hitting first. Obviously, Tatis not being here uh, might have a little bit of influence in that. Gush has done a great job at, at leading off. Uh, I don't know. Leading off, I haven't gotten a hit yet. Spring training, uh, in season, I haven't let off the game with a hit or even gotten on base. So hopefully that that streak changes tonight. How do you think you guys impact each other? I can only think in a good way. You know, uh, I mean, you have so many good players. I mean, if, if if you're someone that wants to learn and willing to learn, I mean, you can really pick each other's brain and and, and see what works for them. And I'm not saying you have to use that, but I mean, if you're here from different stars, I mean. You, you really have to be stupid not to at least listen to how they go about it and how they they uh, attack the game, mostly from a hitting standpoint. If you're hitting cleanup, you're seeing probably 20 pitches before, right? Especially with yeah, Soto. That's different. That's the that's the thing. Like especially if I'm hitting third or four, like sometimes you could be downstairs, you can see the game on TV, you can see what the pitches ball is doing. You know, first is just the only thing at first. Sometimes it might come quick. You know, that first at bat. You know, but. Especially on the road, it's a little different. Like you, you could be prepared for the first at bat. At home is you come from defense, now you gotta go hit. It's not much time, you know. So on the road, it's, it's actually a little bit better. Here's Juan Soto, who a year ago expressed a clear preference for where he'd like to hit in the lineup. Where have you felt most comfortable? Because you've hit two, you've hit four, you've protected Rendon. You're back with the Nationals. Uh, for me, like I said, any spot that I can help my team, you know. Uh, <clears throat> most of my career was uh, four, third, the whole time. <clears throat> uh, 2022, David uh, Martinez wants to maybe hit second so bad. I didn't like it at all. I saw him, but he still put him in second hole. Uh, but for me, my comfortable spot to always, like I say, is third, four for me. Um, uh, at the end of the day, I will do anything to help my team. <clears throat> like I tell Bob, I talk with Bob and anything. He knows what I like, uh, but definitely whatever I feel comfortable, he's <clears throat> whatever he put me, I'm going to feel comfortable. If he put me second hole, I'm going to be fine with it because I know I have a lot of, we have a lot of that. We have a lot of good players behind me and I would be fine with that. <clears throat> uh, what I like, 3-4 is my favorite. But I can do second two in this lineup that we have. We have Machado, we have Bogers behind me, we have Nelson, we have Mark Carpenter. So we have a lot of guys that can cover me. So I would do it <clears throat> without problem being second. What was uh, in the past, you mentioned not liking second. What was that about? Was that uh, just that particular lineup or was it just there's something about you just prefer three or four? I mean, I, first of all, it's a particular lineup, you know? Right. I was coming from 2018 when I hit mostly five and six. Then 19, I hit four the whole year. And 2020, I hit three and four the whole year. Uh, it's just how I feel. It's, it's how I feel great. You know, like you say too, it, it wasn't a great lineup over there. So I, I prefer to hit whatever I feel more comfortable. And I tried to tell that to David. He wasn't thinking about it, but Definitely in the lineup like, <clears throat> like these, I, I would try to do second hole. I, I have no problem doing it, like I say, because we have a lot of depth. 
I don't have to worry about the bottom part. Because I was telling David too, like if I'm three or four, probably we have more depths uh, on the lineup and we have more more solid lineup in the middle. But that's in the past. Now I'm here with San Diego. And I tell Bob I feel great and I, I will do anything to be any part of the lineup. If you hit two behind Fernando, what could he do for you as a hitter, especially with the new rules? I mean, he's another hitter, you know? Uh, it's great to, to see pitchers, you know, not only me. When those pitchers go first time through those four guys, they, they got to they gotta make a lot of pitches and they got to make sure they don't make a mistake. Yeah. And that's how they get tired quicker. That's how we get in the second round. We got more chance to get a hit. Uh, so for me, having Nando up there, it's going to help a lot because uh, even if he's a righty or lefty, he's going to set him up for us that we're coming behind. Yeah, I wonder too about the hole, first base hole. You know, you know to see that these days, especially for somebody who runs like Fernando, <laughs> they might open up that for you. If he winds up leading off, you know. I mean, <clears throat> that's what we've been thinking. He's he's gonna be leading off. Uh, that's what we did in spring training. I think yeah. that's that's what he's gonna do. Uh, but definitely, yeah, it's, it feels great to have a, a speed power guy in the top of the lineup. But <clears throat> it's gonna be fun to have him back. Here's Manny Machado. All things being equal, what's your favorite place to hit in the lineup? I don't care. For me, it's about winning and. Wherever, I mean, you know, with the matchups nowadays with people in the bullpen, you know, starters, bullpen guys, arms coming in. I mean, we got we got Soto, lefty. We got a couple of righties coming back, especially when Tati comes back. So, I mean, wherever's going to put us in the best lineup to win that game that night, I think it doesn't really matter where, where I hit. Two, three, four, wherever it is, um, you know, we're going to be able to drive and runs as a team. We're going get, to be getting on base. and be able to do damage wherever we're at so me for me personally i, I really don't have a, a, a specific um spot i like to hit at just wherever the team's gonna win what what's it like either soto or bogart's hitting behind you for it's, you it's huge i mean we i mean it's the first time i've ever ever had i mean we we kind of had some something like that similar in baltimore with jones and myself trumbull and davis and they high and scopey um you know but with, with, with this with, with this lineup we could do a lot of things we could run the bases as well um you know, we got we got power. We got Soto. We got you know Soto hitting behind me or hitting in front of him. Uh, Bogey hitting behind me or hitting in front of me today. Uh, I mean, it's just Bogey's such a pure hitter that can just make contacts, whatever, work counts, do everything. And then you have Soto who's going to work counts. I think that's the beauty of it. I think for me, hitting behind any of those two guys, you see a lot of pitches and gives me a chance to kind of read, read and get my timing off of the pitcher early on. Does it change your mindset? I remember watching you in the playoffs last year where it was clear, like, they're like, we're not going to let Manny yeah. beat us. I mean, it's going to be different now. I think we're going to have four guys coming back, five, six. I mean, our lineup just it just got deeper this year. So, um, you know, it's definitely going to be a lot different. Uh, you know, but honestly, you never know. I mean, we all go through hot, hot streaks, cold streaks. So whoever's hot, whoever's not, you know, you just have to deal with that and kind of, you know, try to get ourselves uh, going as, as, a, as a team or whoever's in front of you, whoever's behind you. I think that's what's, what the beauty is. I mean, we got four guys. You can mix and match however however you want and, uh, you know, set the lineup for that day. However, we're going we're gonna to be able to, you know, match it up in whatever way we can. So, uh, I mean, it's been fun pretty, 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 uh, been fun pretty, pretty much, you know, these last few first games and, you know, definitely when Toddy gets back, it's going to get a lot deeper. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, 
Their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well, Buster. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. You as a Red Sox fan probably felt better about what happened with Chris Sale yesterday. Uh, We got a bleacher tweet from a listener basically saying he's done with Chris Sale. It's all over. Chris Sale can never be the same again. And we talked him off the ledge because you and I know that players make adjustments all the time. And the adjustment that he made from the last start to this one was he completely ditched his sinker. He went with a four-seam fastball. We went back to seeing Chris Sale throwing lots of sliders, throwing lots of fastballs, four-seam fastballs, six innings, one run, 11 strikeouts. It had to have hardened you as a Red Sox fan. Yes. What did LL Cool J say? Don't call it a comeback. It could be a comeback, Um, but we'll see. You know, one um, stellar start doesn't a season make. Obviously, Chris Sale has been injured and has had to make adjustments along the way. And, um, you know, benefit of the doubt is always in play in Boston and, and many other places, but we shall see. But yes, to your point, it was a good win and uh, and certainly a very good start. So you, I, I don't think you've had time to be around Chris Sale during this run of, you know, ugly starts and injuries and everything that he's had. I will tell you that in the time that I've been around him, he's gone from being very accountable to like, dude, stop beating yourself up. Like there's only so much you can do. Like he really wears it. And he has, and I've been around him when he's done this. And I was texting a friend of his recently saying, you know, he needs to kind of like <laughs> to ease up a little bit. Maybe yesterday's start did that. I mean, do you as a Red Sox fan sense how much he, he hates the fact that he's let the team down? Yo, that question. And let's talk about the intensity of this particular player. The guy who cut the uh, the sleeves off those White Sox uniforms, those ugly White Sox uniforms uh, before he got traded. So, yeah, that intensity is there. And listen, um, we've seen players who, who can harness this intensity, um, towards something great. Sometimes it, it, uh, takes over them. The psychology of all of this has been studied and, and, uh, you know, talked about for years and years and years. 
But listen, I will always remember being in L.A. in 2018 and seeing him close out the Dodgers. And, um, you know, he's got a track record. And again, it's been a few years and there's a lot of wear and tear um, and, and mileage that, that applies here. But uh, let's see what happens. And it's great to see that, that uh, adjustments are being made. All right, let's get to this week's uh, edition of Forgotten Fields. And this is a place near and dear to my uh, heart. Absolutely. So, Buster, Montreal was awarded a National League expansion franchise on May 27, 1968. The club, which would later be named Expos, was the first major league franchise based in Canada. And it was a surprising choice. Launching a franchise with such a short runway made for a large series of challenges. And the biggest challenge of all was locating a suitable ballpark in which to play their home games. Part of the agreement to bring Major League Baseball there involved the city of Montreal committing to build a domed stadium by 1972, so the club's first home would necessarily be a temporary one. Team and city officials initially focused their search on the Autostad, a modular sporting facility that was constructed of 19 linked precast concrete grandstands, each 40 seats wide, arranged around a central field. Plans were drawn up to put a dome on the stadium, but it would have required a massive expenditure to make it playable. During the spring and summer of 1968, there was talk of the National League rescinding the expansion franchise. Time was wasting, and a solution was urgently needed. NL President Warren Giles paid a site visit to Montreal in August of that year, and he gave his blessing for the club to play at Jerry Park, a 3,000-seat venue located in the north-central part of the island of Montreal, about four miles from downtown. It would need to be expanded and made Major League ready in a hurry, but it was seen as a viable option with good public transportation and easy highway access. Renovations to the nine-year-old facility commenced immediately. Construction crews labored for seven months, working 20-hour days, much of it during the Montreal winter, to expand Jerry Park to a cozy 28,500 seats. The ballpark would consist of a single deck of seating. Extensions were built down the left and right field lines. Bleachers and a new scoreboard were installed, but amenities were few and far between. The only covered seating was in the press box. The seats were made of aluminum, and player facilities were spartan at best. $3 million was spent to get the ballpark up to something approaching Major League standards, a stopgap for four seasons before the Expos would move into their new domed stadium. The Expos played their first home game on April 14, 1969, the first MLB regular season game in Canada, and the team was on its way. Fans embraced the Jerry Park experience. Writer Roger Angel went to a game there that first season and pronounced it, quote, a handsome little field that much resembles a country fairground. Located in a city park, there were swimming pools behind the right field fence and scoreboard. Pittsburgh's Willie Stargell hit a 495-foot homer into the drink on July 16, 1969, and when he retired in 1982, the city of Montreal presented him with a life preserver to commemorate his epic splash hit. Jerry Park wound up hosting the Expos for eight seasons. They finally moved into Olympic Stadium in 1977, better late than never. And Jerry Park is still there, Buster. I visited in September 2021. It's now a tennis stadium called Stade IGA. 
Part of the seating bowl is recognizable as the first home of the Expos, and the pools are still beyond what was right field. The franchise, of course, departed for Washington after the 2004 season, but today, Buster, we pay tribute to the Expos and their first home park, Jerry Park, and this is this week's Forgotten Field. Yeah, this was a place that I, where I went when I was 10 years old. The Central Vermont Little League collectively made a trip. You know, we all climbed on buses. All the I think there were eight teams in the Central Vermont Little League. We uh, climbed on buses, went up to Montreal, and what uh, for a game that was at the end of September in the 1974 season. Uh, Ken Singleton had a grand slam for the Expos. They won the game. But what stuck out to me in my memory, besides getting the autograph from the one player I wanted to get it from, Willie Davis, was the bleachers. And all the aluminum that you mentioned, that that stuck with me. And, and especially now having covered major league teams, that really, it did feel like a, a minor league park for a major league team. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. They put it together in a hurry. Amazing buster to think about the fact that this franchise was awarded around Memorial Day in 1968, and they began play yes. the following April. Just imagine putting together a farm system, selling season tickets, all of this stuff that goes into it much less renovating this ballpark. And um, as I said, um, went there a couple of years ago with my buddy Chris Creamer from sportslogos.net. Um, we took a look around and imagined what took place there. Um, there's a street uh, named for Gary Carter. And again, you could still see the press box. It looks like pictures of Jerry, Field, Jerry Park. And I am totally jealous of the fact that you went to a game there as a kid. And as you and I speak... You're wearing the old Expos hat, which I thought one of the one of the coolest logos uh, ever made. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. We'll bring in Sarah, bring in Taylor. All right, here we go. The 100th anniversary of Yankee Stadium this week. So I have a Yankee Stadium question for you guys. This National League club has never won a game at Yankee Stadium, either the old ballpark or the current one. Is it A, the Cubs, B, the Nationals, C, the Padres, or D, the Rockies, National League club, which has never won a game at Yankee Stadium, either the old one or the current one. Cubs, Nationals, Padres, or Rockies? Wow. Uh, Taylor, you want to go first? I'll say the uh, the Northern Virginia Expos, the Nationals. Sarah? Um, I'm going to go with the Rockies. Boy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted because of course, you know, going with the, the, the National League, and, and I wonder, Todd, are you including postseason all this? Yes. Uh, which is why the Padre is very interesting to me. I'm going to go with the Chicago Cubs. Buster, you finally, finally break through with the victory. Finally. Ugh. We're about to nice. fire the manager here. The Chicago Cubs are 0-8 in regular season games at Yankee Stadium. 0-4 in World Series play. They were swept in 1932 and 38. So here we go. Look at this. Nice. I'm back in. I'm back. I'm back. Don't no, call it a comeback. The, the, the comeback. I'm like the Houston Astros from this year. I'm like the St. Louis Cardinals team that came into the year mid high expectations and pulling it together here uh, late in April. Taylor, Sarah, if you want to chime in, go ahead. I have nothing to say to you, Buster. <laughs> Sarah, you're <laughs> muted. In the, wise, like, in the wise words of Taylor Swift, you came back stronger than a 90s trend. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> nice. I love it. All right, guys. Thanks. 
Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up, our pal Zach Beeson at Zach Beeson 22 writes in, Buster, you asked David Schoenfield if he's more worried about the Dodgers or Mariners, but no mention of the last place Cardinals who picked to win the NL Central. Oh, Zach, please stop reminding me. <laughs> I mean, I basically was like uh, in spring training saying I couldn't see foresee a situation in which the Cardinals didn't win the National League Central. Maybe a situation where they're blown out from the beginning and the Brewers go wire to wire. Maybe that would be a situation in which the Cardinals did not win the division. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. Shocker, Mitchell wants to talk about the Tigers. He writes in, I know the roster looks more like a AAA roster than a Major League Baseball one, but the Tigers have won f- have a five-game win streak. How about a little love? Might be the highlight of our season? Mm, I don't know. A little love. And by the way, this whole thing has coincided with uh, A.J. Hinch pulling Javi Baez off the field. What do you think? Oof. Maybe it maybe maybe he is sending a message. I know, I know. I like Javi, but I feel like he could be a little bit of a knucklehead. Maybe remove that element. It kind of straightens things out a little bit. Classic man, managerial stuff one oh one, right? Yeah. I, I mean I respect it because I I've seen other managers who in these situations will just kind of sit back and it it's easier to do nothing than to do something. And so AJ Hinch uh, took the heat upon himself and at least uh, in the, at the beginning of it, it feeds a narrative that maybe he helped turn things around. Tough to do that with the big money guys, too. Uh, Matt, yep. Matt Stock at MStock73 writes in, you're exactly right about pitcher injuries. They are marathon runners uh, and that are training for a 100-yard dash. They have to learn how to pace. No, I don't think they will, though, because this is what teams look for. They're looking for swing and miss. They're looking for high velocity. And so the pitchers, the athletes are responding to that. But... Uh, yeah, anybody who doesn't think this wave of injuries we had in recent years isn't related. This search for velocity is out of their minds. Jaw Tai Joe at Jaw Tai Joe 87 writes in, I love the way you shut down the Arise Gwyn comparison so definitively. It makes me wonder are there any current players to former player comparisons that are popular amongst broadcasters that drive you nuts? Oh, boy. I'm going to have to think about that one and get back to you. Nothing sort of comes to mind. I, I would say. That I it does drive me crazy when broadcasters won't entertain the idea of a comparison like that. Like it's clear, and I know Juan Soto's off to a slow start this year, but if you compare the trajectory, you know, an adjusted OPS plus of a, of a Ted Williams, then Juan Soto was on that trajectory. So it's not like we're blowing him up. Mm-hmm. You know that that's what statistically that's what he was doing. I remember talking uh, with a broadcaster and speaking with a manager. Uh, at the same time, early in Mike Trout's career, saying, look, he's having like the arguably the greatest start to his career than any player in baseball. And I remember the response being, oh, come on. Nobody's as good as Babe Ruth. Nobody <laughs> could be that good. And here we are. And Mike Trout, for almost a decade, was regarded as the best player in the sport. Last one for today. Alex Daker at Daker Alex writes in, hey, Buster, I have a random question. Do bunts count toward a player's average exit velocity numbers? I feel like they shouldn't. Uh, so, uh, I just, I just got this answer from Sarah Langs. I texted her early this morning and asked her that question and she writes back, they are excluded. Uh, so, uh, the expert Sarah Langs weighing in, Alex. There you go. Ask and you shall receive. Thanks for writing in everyone. Hashtag Bleacher tweets on Twitter while you're watching games tonight and tomorrow night. We, we will be back on Friday. All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Todd, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.